right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Thank you all so much for joining me on YouTube if you're watching me. Thank you all so much for joining me if you're listening to it uh, on your phone or iPod. Do people still use iPods anymore? Remember those? Anyways, um, those turned into your phone. Your phone ate an iPod, so it's now that. Anyways, point doesn't make any sense. Here we go, though. So welcome, everybody. So this is a question and answer based podcast where you get to send me, me, the therapist, questions about OCD and anxiety disorders crazy, right? But um, if, if you have a question that you would like me to go over, uh, feel free to go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Send me an email there if you click on the submit a uh, question link, and uh, you can send me the question over there. You can also send me a success story, and I'm going to read one of the success stories here. It's kind of a success, to- success story. It's kind of, kind of not as well, but you'll hear what it is shortly. So uh, you can send me a message over there. I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. You can also send me a message over at Instagram. Uh, I'm Fearcast Podcast over there. You can follow me over there. I post some um, sometimes helpful, sometimes funny um, posts over there. You know, it's Instagram stuff. It's what it does. Um, you can also send me a question. So uh, an audio question either there, you can send it to me. Uh, you can email it to me, send me a, a shared Google Drive kind of, of a recorded audio from your phone or computer or wherever. Um, email me the link. And that will shoot you up to the top of the um, of the list. So I'm going to try in the time that I have today, get through a number of questions. Um, so I'm going to try to do a little bit shorter of an answer. Um, but we're going to see how it goes. I'm trying new things. Um, so the first is going to be that success story. The success story comes from Mike. So Mike says, honestly, I just want to thank you for being so open and flexible in bringing people on your show that have different ideas about OCD and its treatment. Not to say that OCD doesn't have its place, but at least for me, the most help I've ever gotten, say by a long shot, uh, has been from hearing people like Michael Greenberg and now Carl Robbins. So he says, uh, he goes on to say, um, and I'm not just saying uh, it, it's nice to hear people talk about alternatives, uh, like this stuff actually has positively impacted my life for the better. And I'm finally able to, or I'm finally uh, feeling hope again. Uh, I can't wait for the newer ideas to become even more mainstream. Thanks again. Um, and he says, uh, I would also love to hear either of those guys back on your show. So um, so my last episode, uh, if you haven't listened to it, is from, uh, or I was joined by a fellow named Carl Robbins. So he he is a, uh, a licensed therapist, and he focuses on, or he specializes in using uh, inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy for um, uh, for OCD and, uh, and anxiety disorders. So, um, uh, short for, or it's IBT for short. Um, I, I, Mike, I, I had a lot of fun having Carl on. I had a lot of fun with um, uh, uh, Michael Greenberg on as well, or Dr. Greenberg on as well. Um, it, it is, I, I know for, for some people, having those folks on the show can be controversial. They're controversial in the sense that they do 
push against this this uh, push against the idea that that um, uh, that the, the gold standard CBT ERP Act is the is the gold standard indeed is the one thing that's going to fix everybody. I, I think the vast majority of therapists out there are going to say there isn't one thing that is going to help everybody. In fact, they'll also say that CBT ERP does not help twenty five percent of the people that do it. I believe that number is correct. I could be wrong. I might be wrong. But either way, it, it's it's less effective for some people, which implies that there may be something out there that that would that may be more helpful. I get really excited when I hear some of these alternatives, not because I'm desperately trying to get away from CBT ERP, ERP because obviously I've seen that it helps. Obviously, I've talked about it a bunch here, but that it 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 opens the door to maybe something else that can be even more helpful or could help that that you know maybe 25% of people who who don't get the same results uh, from ERP that other people might. So how can we how can we reach those folks? And it's also I think this is also the case hearing hearing the hearing a different method for ultimately getting towards the same end can be really helpful. So I've said it before, sometimes hearing the same thing from a different voice can for whatever reason be helpful. Sometimes hearing similar information or hearing, gosh, in, in some instances, it can feel like the opposite information from somebody, but ultimately to the same end can also be helpful in terms of, you know, all of us hear and learn things differently. And maybe for one person, kind of the, the Greenberg, the IBT approach is going to be really helpful. For another person, it's going to be CBT ERP. I, I don't want to be married to any one of them in particular, um, but I, I want to do the thing that's going to help. So if those things are going to be helpful, awesome. So I, I'm probably going to be infusing some more um, IBT stuff in, in as I as I do these. I, I found that as I after I talked to, to Greenberg and uh, kind of read a lot of his stuff. I incorporated a lot of his concepts, so I'm probably going to be doing more of that. In fact, I'm reading the book on IBT right now, so there's going to be more of that to come. But, um, but Mike, yeah, if, uh, if there are questions specifically for Dr. Greenberg or for Carl Robbins, I'll be sure to try to reach out to them and, and see if I can get them on. But uh, thank you so much uh, for that feedback as well. All right, so the next question comes from Scott. Scott says, Hi, Kevin. I'm based in the UK, so I hope it's okay uh, to contact you. Yes, it is. Uh, thank you so much for messaging me. If you are anywhere in the world, you can contact me. So um, either, again, through Instagram, through um, through the website, fearcastpodcast.com. Um, what I love about the podcasting format and now YouTube format is that it can literally reach anybody. Aliens, if you're out there and you are getting this projected into space and you have a question, message me. For a number of reasons, I would love to talk to you, but that's beside the point. So, Scott, here's your question. So, uh, Scott says, my question relates to ROCD. This is something I've suffered with for a long time, and, uh, and at points, it has put real pressure on our relationship, despite that I've been with my partner for 10 years and married for four of them. My issue, however, is that ROCD has switched focus to an ex-girlfriend. This happened two years ago when I learned that she had a new boyfriend. It has been eight years... Uh, eight years. So of course she has met someone else, but I started to question whether I still had feelings for her. Often 
I would check whether I still uh, I was still attracted to her by looking at her social media or looking back at photos. Of course, um, uh, of course, it then makes me question if I love my wife. This has been triggered again recently after I found some letters she wrote to me when we were together. Uh, it, it's it's really painful as I feel guilty or I feel yeah, I feel guilty feeling like this and find myself being quiet around my wife. Is this a common form of ROCD? And how would exposure therapy work for this? So, Scott, great question. I I, I love that question. Um, all right. So there there are a couple things in there, and I'm going to kind of be short with these. So number one. So it, it, you're asking about how exposure with therapy would work. So remember, exposure therapy is exposure and response prevention. So exposure is progressively getting closer to your fear. Response prevention is pulling back on your response. So the response typically to an exposure to our fear is a compulsion. So response prevention is pulling back and resisting unnecessary, unhelpful, compulsive behaviors. What you're talking about here, you're doing compulsions. So I think that the first thing right off the bat, starting with response prevention, that's going to be really helpful. So some of the things that you mentioned, you're going back and looking at her social media, and you're, I, I, you're looking at old photos. I don't know the role of what these letters are doing. It sounds like they're triggering you. I don't know if you're rereading them. I suspect that you are. But number one, resist the urge to do any of those things. There's going to be this process, um, and it's this uh, self, uh, self-fulfilling, self-reinforcing cycle, certainly, where you're going, oh man, do I have feelings for that ex? Let me check out some pictures of her, and let me see if I am still attracted to her, think she's cute, think she, you know, have positive feelings towards her. Guess what? You probably are because you were with them in the first place. There was something about them you thought was cute and fun and exciting and whatever. So you are likely going to think about those memories or acknowledge that she or, you know, for anybody else out there who has a similar situation, he, they, whoever, they're cute. They were. They probably still are. But you broke up with them for a reason which your brain is ignoring. Going back and watching, or not watching those videos, unless they're videos, going back and watching, looking at photos, looking at her Instagram, reading those letters is not going to help. It is only going to, it is only going to serve to further confuse you and frustrate you and make the anxiety worse, right? You're going to see those pictures go, all right, do I have feelings for her? Look at those pictures go, yeah, I still have those feelings for her. Oh no, those feelings are true. Oh my gosh, I don't love my wife. And the cycle continues. So response prevention is going to be your first tact. So is this a common form of ROCD? This can be a very common compulsion for folks with ROCD. So I, I do hear this a lot. It can be, uh, it, it can either be checking social media. It can be, you know, sometimes people will avoid social media entirely and they think that that's a success. To a certain degree, it's, it's a success. There's a bug in my office. Get it. Ugh. Bugs. Distraction. All right. So what happens is people will avoid social media entirely because they're like, oh, man, I'm still friends with my ex or my friends are still friends with my ex. And her picture comes up or his picture comes up. And you're like, oh, man, do I still have picture or still have feelings for her? But she's so cute. She was so cute, but she still kind of is. And she was so much fun and she probably still is. And the cycle continues. And then the evaluation, the feelings that I have for her, do I have the same for my spouse? 
I don't know. And they're going to be different. And the more you get into it, the more anxious, the more uncomfortable, the more the more you're going to find. So, uh, Scott, what I'd say is you're probably experiencing a lot of exposures as is. I would first start with response prevention. So, other exposures that can absolutely work for this, and I know this is going to get, go against if you listened to the Carl Robbins uh, episode from um, uh, last week, um, uh, scripting can be really helpful for this. You might want to work with a therapist on developing that. Um, th- there are a bunch of other things that, that could be helpful as well, Scott, but for right now, response prevention and resisting that that rumination and comparison, that's going to be difficult, but redirecting your attention back towards your wife is going to be probably the most effective thing. You also mentioned that when you have these thoughts, you're quiet, and, and I, I anticipate you've probably feel a little distant. I don't know if there's, or you said that there, there's there's guilt about having them. I know there's guilt. I know there's discomfort. And I think there's guilt because you, you, guilt can be one of those feelings that kind of is a, is a big red flag to show us when we're doing something that is against what our values are. Sometimes we feel appropriate guilt. If we do something that is against our values, we should feel bad. What that bad feeling does is it hopefully pulls us back on track to being the person that we are wanting to be and striving to be. I wonder if in this instance, that guilt is there to illustrate that you're kind of doing something that deep down or even shallowly, you know that you're not supposed to. So acknowledge that you feel that guilt. You don't need to yourself. Acknowledge that you're doing something, the compulsions, that aren't that isn't helpful that and 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 aren't the type of person you want to be. Maybe I'm I'm just guessing, but I think I'm right. And during those times, lean into conversations with your wife. Though it feels like you are want to be quiet or pull back, an exposure here could be leaning in and having conversation, engaging with her, saying something about her, reflecting on your relationship with her, trying to build new memories with your wife trying to engage in physical contact with your wife even. That's going to feel like a mismatch and it's going to, quote, feel wrong. But ultimately, we don't care about those, that feeling. That feeling is is that that either that inappropriate guilt or OCD trying to beat you up and trying to direct what you're going to do. So lean into that relationship, have conversation, play a game, watch TV, whatever it is, ask her about her day, anything. Let that feeling be there because what you're doing is you're acting more in line with your values and the type of person you would want to be rather than what anxiety wants you to do. So, Scott, I appreciate that question. Hopefully, it was uh, my answer was helpful, but uh, we're going to move on to the next question from Michelle. So, Michelle says, Hi, Kevin. I'm a 28-year-old that has suffered from sensory motor OCD uh, swallowing obsession since the age of 12. I've done every therapy under the sun, but I keep landing back on the same place, not being able to enjoy social gatherings and special times with my friends and family. My questions are, my OCD kicks in when uh, when I'm around close friends and colleagues and family members, not strangers. Why is that? Every big event I attend, it hits me hard, and I have to drink it, and I have to have a drink in my hand uh, to hide my constant swallowing compulsion. Hence, I get completely drunk after a night like this. Is there is there a better way of managing this? And they say parenthetically, um, it, it, alcohol helps calm me, but I'm not an alcoholic. 
they go on to say, I'm on an, uh, I'm not on an SN, SSRI, I'm on an SNRI uh, due to huge weight gain, uh, uh, huge weight gain when I was on an SSRI. Do you know anything about meds uh, that would affect uh, the, and the effects on OCD? First off, I'm, I'm actually not going to comment on that. I don't know why I read it, but uh, I'm not going to comment on it, particularly because I'm not a psychiatrist. If you have those questions for your psychiatrist, you should ask your psychiatrist. I can try to get a psychiatrist on for a future episode. That might be a good idea uh, to talk about medication, weight gain, some of the common things. Actually, I'm going to reach out to a psychiatrist today. That sounds like a good idea. All right, moving on, Michelle. They say, um, is an OCD is OCD like this ever curable? Does it get worse the older you get? My fear is growing old, go uh, old and alone, and stuck in an old age home, having to deal with my OCD all by myself. Michelle, thank you so much for this question. Ugh, sensory motor is a pain. It is a colossal pain. So first off. Um, definitely go talk to your psychiatrist about those side effects and, and, and positive effects, the ones you want. Um, so is it ever curable? So it depends on who you talk to. Theoretically, if you have this obsession, but you do not engage in any compulsions, you've cured it in the sense that you don't have, quote, OCD anymore, because OCD requires you to have both the obsessions and the compulsions. Then you just have thoughts, and we all have thoughts, Right. Right. So is it ever curable? Well, again, depends on who you talk to. But the goal for you and me is to acknowledge that for whatever reason your brain is giving you this thought and saying, oh, my gosh, you're swallowing. Are you swallowing? How much are you swallowing? Are you swallowing too much? What do they think about your swallowing? Stop swallowing. And to let that thought be there, to not do anything about that thought. To not have to swallow more because it says swallow more. To have to swallow less. You swallow the perfect amount that you swallow. There's great advice, and I think that um, I would encourage you to do this. Uh, and it can be kind of, um, you can do it the flip way as well. But in this way, it's if, if there is anxiety about whether or not you're doing the right amount of swallowing or the wrong amount of swallowing, in those moments, just go, you know what, I probably did it wrong. And that's going to feel wrong. But when you roll your eyes and just say, you know what, I probably did it wrong. Who cares? And we're going to suffer the consequences and wait to see what those consequences are. Eventually, over time, your brain spends less time focusing on it and less time worrying so much that maybe you did it wrong. And to that end, what is so bad about you doing it? You said, man, I'm doing this around... Um, uh, I, I, when I'm when I'm around close friends or colleagues and family members, I'm going to speculate. I wonder if it's because there's something to lose. So swallowing around strangers, who cares? You're not going to see them again. But man, friends and family, colleagues, they're going to see you. They're going to see you swallowing, and they're going to see it's weird. And they're going to see that it, they're going to go, "Oh my gosh, she swallows." Did you see Michelle swallowing? She swallows a lot or in a super weird way. Isn't she so, I don't think we should talk to her. I think we should fire her. We should let her go. Let's not invite her back to the next family gathering. I don't know what that story is. You alluded to it at the very end. You said, my fear is growing old and alone and being stuck in an old age home, having to deal with OCD all by myself. So, Michelle, to challenge the, the validity of that, you have this swallowing obsession. People have probably seen you swallow. Have they said anything? Have you lost friends over it? Have you lost friends because of it? Not have you lost friends. We've all lost friends. Have you lost friends and they've said, Michelle, I don't want to be around you because you swallow so weird and you're just so weird. I anticipate no. 
The other part, though, is that you said, man, I've, I've got to have a drink in my hand to hide it. That is a common compulsion I do here, especially for swallowing, because you're trying to mask it. And then you're getting hammered at every event, and maybe more guilt and shame shows up as a result of that. I would challenge you to go one event without having a drink in your hand constantly. Go an event without alcohol in your hand, at least for once, see how that goes. But secondly, go an event, at least go for an hour without uh, uh, without a drink in your hand, without trying to like swallow or like mask or swallow like this, and swallow. Swallow wrong or swallow too much or swallow too little, but swallow and see what people have to say. There can be an aspect of trying to do some information gathering, just seeing what happens. I'm willing to bet you haven't done that process. I want you to go in and see what happens. First, anticipate what what your feared outcome is. Is it that they are going to think you're weird and leave you and judge you and yell at you, et cetera, et cetera? Or, Or is that it? Or is it some other story? And then test it. See what happens. And from the results, see if that is then going to change the initial fear. I'm willing to bet it will. And be honest with yourself about what you actually observed. Not what you think might be happening, but what you actually saw. And you might have seen nothing. I'm willing to bet that's what's going to happen. So there can be a whole element about uh, getting into kind of your your, your feared imagination or uh, kind of the, the feared fantasy, kind of the stuff that may have happened or could have happened or might happened. But all of that is a fantasy. It's not tangible. It's not reality, right? For more of that, you can listen to the IBT episode because th- some of that element is going to be in the IBT stuff. But for this, I, I want you to take a risk and-, and-, and go forward and do that. Of course, you can do scripting to this this fear. Um, but again, it's all of that is future-based and we-, we don't have any control over that anyways. The first thing, again, is going to be response prevention, pulling back on the stuff you're doing to hide. So, Michelle, I hope that was helpful. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next one since I have about five minutes before my next client. So we're going to buckle up and try to do this. So this question comes via the Instagram. So this comes from Ruth. I'm going to try to read this quickly. So Ruth says, hi, I just started listening to your podcast and not sure where to send this question. Instagram, that's where. Um, I hope this works. It did. Um, I have severe OCD, especially religious for for years. This year, it has picked up on a theme that has uh, provided or proved debilitating and caused me depression and such. I have this feeling and I'm not that I'm not, quote, accepting Christ's gift of salvation. They're Christian, in case you're wondering, Um, because it's too good and I'm I'm unworthy. Uh, No matter how much I want to accept it, I never feel like I do. When I ruminate and think, do I accept this? It's like I hit a brick wall mentally every time and I can't bring myself back. Uh, to say yes without hesitation or feeling insincere. I'm sure this has some uh, has something to do with OCD. It does. Um, of course, my brain tells me it's a spiritual problem. But sometimes when I do uh, when I do feel that I quote accept uh, this, uh, the relief is only brief, uh, and I have to do it all again in uh, in the next hour probably. It's a constant loop uh, that happens all day and it's driving me insane. Uh, they go on to say, um, are these mental blocks normal in OCD, um, or uh, are these mental blocks normal in OCD that make me feel like I can't make the decision I want or reach the level uh, of feeling certain? It feels like I get close and then it feels like 
uh, tires spinning in the mud in my mind. Hope this analogy makes sense. It does. Um, when you have, uh, if you have any insight, I'd love to hear it. The theme is so, uh, this theme is, oh, this theme is into its third month now and has really affected my quality of life uh, and that of my family. Thank you. All right, Ruth, thank you so much. So I'm going to try to answer this quickly because I already reached out to you via the Instagrams and had it gave you my answer. So my brief answer to this is going to be, all right, let's say you had it, you accepted it. How does that feel? Has anybody described what that feels like? And that is a reliable and consistent feeling? Does something click? Do you feel something and you just always feel that? Does that feeling never go away? I'm willing to bet there isn't an objective measure for knowing that you accepted Christ's gift. And that's part of the problem. You will hear stories in church town about um, accepting Christ's gift, and they'll say things like, I was just feeling overwhelmed and lifted up and lighter and at peace or, or overjoyed. or They'll say things like that. But you know what they don't say? That they got, they got frustrated a couple weeks later, and they crashed and they felt upset. Because they do! We are dynamic people, and we don't feel the same thing forever. Right? So the same thing is going to go with this is how do you know you've accepted it? There is no feeling that's going to remain consistent. You said you kind of have convinced yourself for a short period of time and then that feeling goes away. Trust that moment. Not that it's going to go on forever. And in fact, I assure you, it's not going to last forever. That feeling is not going to last forever. So the the other components of it is you, you said that the more that you ruminate about it, the more uh, and, and think, do I accept this? The more you hit a brick wall. Yeah. The more that you think about it, the more you analyze, the more you question, you're getting into that fantasy. And the more that you start to evaluate, do I feel it? You're going to question the times that you haven't felt it. And then it's going to assume that because you haven't felt it that one time, you don't feel it at all. And you didn't accept it in the first place. The rumination is the problem. The rumination is part of the problem. But the rumination here is the problem. This is the part where you, where you can accept and trust that you accepted it that one time. And trust that you accepted it. And trust that God knows you. God, and what, what your pastors and priests or wh whoever in your denomination are called. Um, what they have said about the, the um, salvation process. And that you get it. And that you have it. And that... And that, uh, and that when you have said it, you have gotten it. We trust it. That's what faith is. We don't have certainty, 100% proof. It's called faith, not proof. Faith is having a lot of information and then kind of rounding up the rest of the way. That's what we're doing here. We're taking what we know and then rounding up to the rest of it and trusting that it's true. So this is where you trust that it's true and resist that analysis. And you can say to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to trust that I am and we're going to see how it goes. If you read um, can uh, OCD or can um, Christianity Cure by Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, it talks about this in terms of acknowledging that you have this pattern of obsessive doubt and then it giving over the responsibility of that to God, essentially saying, hey, God, you know my heart, you know who I am, you know what I'm about, you know what I want, and I'm going to give this over to you and hope 
that you are who you say that you are. It's an act of faith to do this. And then once you've given it over to God, you keep going in your life. You disengage from the rumination. You don't ask uh, your pastors yet again. You don't pray about it yet again. You keep going and you trust that it's accurate. And whatever that next thing is, bring yourself back to the present, anchor yourself in the here and now, have a conversation, make a phone call, watch TV, read a book, not the Bible if you're trying to get compulsive reassurances, but bring yourself back to the moment and keep moving on. I know it's going to be hard, but practice doing that. There are a bunch of other exercises you could do, but I will leave that for a future conversation. So, um, uh, Ruth, thank you so much for that. And everybody, I will leave you all here. Thank you so much for joining me for this uh, a very rapid-fire episode. Um, I don't think I've done an episode quite this packed, quite this short, but um, if you guys like it, um, give me some feedback. Let me know that you liked the pacing of things. If it was way too fast let me know i drink a ton of coffee and if i speak too quickly i'm sorry and if i got uh if you want me to go slower let me know go to instagram let me know there let me know in the comments below if you're doing this on um on youtube but thank you all for joining me everybody please remember that the fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy if you need a little bit of help in your recovery go over to fearcastpodcast.com and there's going to be some links there that you can check out that will uh specifically if you go on the find help link it's going to be some stuff there that might be more helpful for you in your recovery so until next Next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.